James is Jesus's half-brother. And uh, he wrote a letter to um, the Jewish people in his, the known world at the time who had scattered around. And we've been unpacking uh, some of the thoughts from this letter that he wrote. So you can go back and listen to the messages uh, via our podcast, either on our website or through iTunes. And encourage you to do that if you weren't here. But of course, you can always access them and to, to, to uh, have another uh, listen and let God speak even more to you. I want to continue with another key theme from James. But let me preface it um, with something that Solomon wrote in the ancient uh, book of wisdom called the Proverbs. And uh, one of the Proverbs that Solomon wrote, now Solomon is considered to be the wisest person who ever lived except for Jesus. So he's someone worth listening to if you want to have wisdom, if you want to grow in wisdom, gain more wisdom. Here's something that Solomon wrote. Very, very simple, very, very punchy, but don't underestimate the, the potency and the importance of these words. He said, words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. And it's a theme, this idea of our words, is a, is, it's a theme that is repeated throughout the entire Bible by various writers in various settings. And, and the theme, I describe the theme using three very simple words. One phrase, words create worlds. Simply, words create worlds. The sort of words that we choose to speak will have an incredible impact on the type of world that we create around us in our families, in our workplaces, in our church, in our, in our marriage. In every setting, our words create worlds. Louis, uh, she mentioned she's been doing prac at a primary school just down the road for the last two weeks. And she came home on Friday afternoon just a little bit... Um, just a little bit heart sore is, uh, is kind of how I would describe it. And she went on to tell me that she'd had this incredibly um, kind of frustrating and, 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 and sad thing happen uh, on Friday. And one of the, the little boys in her class, he came running up to her in the morning and he's crying. And uh, Louis described him as this little nugget of a kid like, uh, you know, minus 1% body fat. He's like, you know, super active. And, uh, and he comes up to Louis and he hugs his leg and he's crying, oh, Miss Pizzolanti, Miss Pizzolanti. And she's like, what's wrong, honey? What's wrong? He says, this particular girl called me a big fat pig. And he's, this kid's devastated, right? Because words create worlds. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. And this mean-spirited girl had chosen poison. And yeah, okay, you know, it reminds me of of, uh, how untrue the little ditty, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, how incredibly untrue that is. Because many of us have had physical wounds heal a whole lot quicker than some of the emotional wounds that poorly chosen words have inflicted on us. And so little Junior here, he's, he's, he's in tears because he's been called a, 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 a fat little pig by um, this girl. And Louis was able to encourage him and, and uh, so on. And through the, the day, you know, his, uh, his spirits picked up. 
and it came time for home time. And mum had pitched up and, uh, to collect him. And he was grabbing, still grabbing Louie. Saying, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. He's crying. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. And she's like, no, it's okay. You know, you need to go. Your mum's here. It's cool. It's fine. You know, you can go. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. And, and, uh, and he said, no, no, come on, honey. You know, you, you, you can go. Go, go to your mum and she'll take you. And, uh, and he, 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 he broke away from Louie and he starts to mosey over to his mum. And it then became very clear why little Junior didn't want to leave Louis, who had been creating a world around him through the two weeks there. And on that particular day, a a world of life, a world of fruit, where mum says, Ah, stop your whinging. What are you crying about? Get over it and get in the car. Right, gee, that solved the mystery of why Junior didn't want to leave Louis's world. And enter mum's world. Now, I'm not trying to judge mum, but I'm using that story to reinforce, and we should just be nodding our heads. Of course, Junior wanted to be around Louis's world and not around mum's world because words create worlds. They're either poison or they're fruit. You choose. They kill or they give life. Well, James had a lot more to say about it. And uh, let me unpack something that he said. This is a metaphor rich. Whenever you read something, particularly the Bible, and, uh, and, and, and a metaphor or, 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 or a principle is repeated by multiple metaphors, you know that the writer is trying to drill it in because it's super important. So James is like, you'll see a list of metaphors. He's like, if you didn't get this one, here's another one. And if that still didn't spin your propellers, here's another one. So here we go. This is something that James wrote about our words. A bit in the mouth of a horse controls the whole horse. A small rudder on a huge ship in the hands of a skilled captain sets a course in the face of the strongest winds. A word out of your mouth may seem of no account, but it can accomplish nearly anything or destroy it. It only takes a spark, remember, to set off a forest fire. A careless, wrongly placed word out of your mouth can do that. By our speech, we can ruin the world, turn harmony into chaos, throw mud on a reputation, send the whole world up in smoke and go up in smoke with it, smoke right from the pit of hell. This is in your face writing from James. Now, he was writing it to a people group 2,000 years ago, but these principles are just as important today as they were back then. Now, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to unpack a few of the things that people can do that demonstrate that they, their words are poison and not fruit. And I'm going to do that, and when I'm doing that, I'm going to be looking at you. Because that's what good communicators do. But I'm thrilled, as the leader here at Elevate Church, I'm thrilled of of how well you guys do at speaking life. This is not a reactionary message. This is not me having heard all these bad stories. Well, I better preach about the stuff that, you know, this is a peacetime message. Uh, This is putting a fence at the top of the hill message so we don't need to send the ambulance to the bottom message when we've destroyed lives. And uh, having said that, 
we can easily miss it. We can easily go from here and start speaking some poison. And I'll talk about it a bit later, but so much, so much of this is, is based on habits. That mum that, that, that uh, told Junior to stop crying, that's not the first time she told him that, I'm sure. And I have to wonder if that's maybe something of what was spoken to her growing up. I don't know, but it wouldn't surprise me. After James had wrote this stuff, he, he then, and, and, I, and, I'll, and I'll wheel back around, but I'll just give you a little sneak preview of verse 7. Just leave that up there though, Sam. But verse 7, <laughs> James having put all these metaphors together and, and, uh, and he and makes some pretty bold statements too, by the way. A word out of your mouth can accomplish nearly anything. That's a bold statement. Or destroy it. By our speech, we can ruin the world, throw harmony into chaos, throw mud on a reputation. Really bold statements. Um, he then said, this is scary. <laughs> you can tame a tiger, but you can't tame a tongue. So before I give you some insights into why we, we can't tame a tongue... I want to give you some insights this morning into how we can head in the right direction. Let me highlight what may be some signs of an untamed tongue. Again, I'm going to be looking up when I say these, but I'm not thinking of you specifically about a specific incident. But you know you've got an untamed tongue if you're someone who takes cheap shots at people. You look for an opportunity just to say something derisive to them, near them, away from them. Take a cheap shot, a bit of trash talk. That's the sign of an untamed tongue. And what's interesting to me, and I'm a student of human behavior as a leader, one needs to be, uh, often the motive is, is the person has low self-worth. And rather than looking to Jesus and getting their identity and what he says about them, it's easier to pull someone else down. So we all are nice Aussies on the same level, egalitarian, you know, tall puppy syndrome stuff. Feel better about you if I pull you down to my sucky level. Another sign of an untamed tongue. This one's a bit of an obvious one. You gossip. The G word. Now I've often, and I've said this from, from up here, I've often given the warning, warning, people who gossip to you will also gossip about you because it's a habit. So be on the lookout. If someone's gossiping to you, do not share anything confidential with them because it will not remain confidential. And often this is also fueled by a low self-worth. And, 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 and often the idea behind gossip is to tell you something so you'll think better of me because I'm in the know. I know something that you don't know. So I'm going to tell you so you think, oh, that person, you know a lot about a lot. Yeah, it's because all their friends are gossips too. It's not a badge of honor. It's pretty sad. I'm not actually meant to tell you this, but... Well, don't! 
That's my response. If that's the beginning of your sentence, I, I won't let you finish the sentence. Look, Mark, I'm not meant to be telling you this. Look, Mark, I'm sure the person that I'm about to talk about won't mind me saying this. Really? Are you sure? Shall we phone them now and find out before you tell me? I've done that. I've literally done that. Put them on speakerphone. Oh, no, no, probably, no, no, don't call them, no. Yeah, called your bluff. Now shut your mouth. I'm not interested. The antidote to gossip is talk about people as if they're in the room. Do not say anything to somebody else about somebody else that you wouldn't say also if they were in the room. Oh, now you can, you can brush that advice off. Oh, I don't care if they're in the room. I'm going to say it anyway. Well, then you're an idiot. Show some respect. But generally speaking, talk about people as if they're in the room. But even better, speak life. Speak life. You know that you have an untaped tongue if you repeat rumors. Rumors are rumors. They're not facts. They're rumors. And by the way, if you're someone that spreads rumors, you're an idiot. Because it's probably not even true. And if you go around speaking like it's a fact, it makes you look like a bozo. Did you hear? I heard a rumor that. Now here's an antidote that I've developed in my life. An antidote. Because actually often the rumor is brought to you disguised as them seeking some facts. I've heard that do you know if it's true well i do two things the first thing is be comfortable saying to people i don't know three words that you might think make you look weak and ignorant but actually it takes incredible strength to simply say to somebody when presented with a rumor that you don't know, just say, I don't know. And then you can help them by saying, why don't you ask them? <laughs> why would you ask me? I don't know. Ask them. Okay. Here's another one. This is one of my personal favorites. You finish a lot of your statements with the words, nah, just kidding. And the reason you have to say, just kidding, is because you've just spoken poison, thinly wrapped up in the great Aussie pastime of sarcasm, which is one of the things we are not thankful to our British ancestry for. It's a very strong cockney Habit, sarcasm, sugarcoat an insult, and then finish it off with, nah, just kidding. It's one of my personal peeves for two reasons. I'm going to share the second reason shortly. But one of the reasons is sarcastic people don't build influence. They erode influence. And often they don't even realize it. Because words create worlds. And even if it's 
sugar-coated, it's still poison to the speaker and to the listener. And so we can't build influence if we're people who speak sarcasm. One of the important things of an influencer is that people around you know where they stand at all times. It requires consistency. As a leader, it requires consistency. I don't want the people around me having to second guess, having to tread on eggshells, having to say, what did you really mean by that? My goal is when I speak with you, you know exactly what I mean. There's no hidden agenda. There's no sugar-coated, harsh comment. And it builds trust. It builds a foundation of trust. Because here's the thing. If you've got a track record of being sarcastic, when you actually do say something life-giving, the hearer isn't sure if you mean it. Did he really? Did he? Did he? Or was he trying? Oh, I don't know. Well, then it's wasted. So why not just speak life all the time and build a platform of trust and so that when you speak life, people are like, oh, I love that person. They speak life. Love being around them. Something about them. Can't always put my finger on it. You know what? Words create worlds. That's why Junior didn't want to leave Louis. He wanted to be around life-giving words, not poisonous words. I'll throw in a little uh, one that James, kind of in his multiple metaphors, didn't speak to, and I'm not going to have time to address it this morning, but even self-talk. The words you speak to yourself about yourself. Even that creates worlds, can be poison or fruit. I haven't got time to go into that, although I'll be wheeling back around to a principle that you can apply to what you speak. But let me, let me throw another one in the mix, which, which kind of James's words predated. Um, James was talking about face-to-face communication because most of the communication at that time was face-to-face, okay? They didn't have emails and text messaging and so on. We've got this whole nother layer of how our words can create worlds. It's called social media. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, so on and so forth, plus text messages, plus uh, forums and blogs that, 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 that nameless, faceless cowards can post comments to, and so on and so forth. Uh, social media is not going away anytime soon, by the way. And whether you have embraced it or not, that's up to you. But let me just tell you, it's, it's here to stay. Until maybe the next thing comes around, I don't know. Or the, or the zombie apocalypse hits, whichever comes first. Um, but in social media, with social media, using social media, may I, it's a, it's a pretty relatively new thing. So a lot of people haven't, haven't quite got their heads around how to use it to build worlds. Um, let me give you a couple of guide rails that I, that I apply, that I've personally developed for myself, and they may trigger some thought for you. Do you even have some guide rails for how you use social media? What's in, what's out? What do you do, what don't you do? Uh, If you don't, I would encourage you to to put some guide rails in place. My guide rails are very, very simple. Two things. Two Two things that guide everything that I do or don't put on social media. Because words create worlds. Speak life. Be wise. That's it. Not complicated. But if I'm 
going to post something to social media, it has to check both, definitively check both of these boxes or it doesn't go on there. Is this going to speak life? And is it wise for me to put on there? Does it reflect me, my personal brand, the influence that I'm trying to build, the Jesus that I'm trying to represent? That's as simple as that. So it doesn't have to be your guide rails. It might be, but have them because words create worlds. Well, here's the thing. James went on to say, this is scary. You can tame a tiger, but you can't tame a tongue. It's never been done. Well, that's not very helpful, is it? Oh, I've got, no, I can't really get my words under control. And James says, well, guess what? There's no solution. Oh, thanks a lot. Real encouraging. Good one, Jimmy. Well, it's important to note there's a bridge word there, but you can't tame a tongue. It's never been done. He doesn't say a tongue can't ever be tamed, but he says that we can't do it on our own, in our own strength. So is there a solution? Well, let me just finish reading what he wrote. The tongue runs wild, a wanton killer With our tongues, we bless God our Father. With the same tongues, we curse the very men and women he made in his image. Provocative. Curses and blessings out of the same mouth. My friends, this can't go on. A spring doesn't gush fresh water one day and brackish the next, does it? How many times have you used the word brackish this week? This month? This lifetime? It means mildly salty. Less salty than seawater, but more salty than freshwater. Baden, you would have known that, being a seafaring man. Baden, see, Baden was feeling a bit brackish when I was asking him those questions before. He pushed through. Apple trees don't bear strawberries, do they? This is him being a little bit, well, duh. Raspberry bushes don't bear apples, do they? You're not going to dip into a polluted mud hole and get a cup of clear, cool water, are you? Words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. In my 20s, I was the most sarcastic person that I knew by a mile. Not by a little bit, by a mile. Now, none of you knew me in my 20s. And thank God for that, for your sake, because I would have torn you down every opportunity. My, I should have just got the t-shirt. Just kidding. So after everything I said, I just pointed the t-shirt. And I destroyed friendships. I destroyed some aspects of my family life. I destroyed uh, relationships in my workplace settings. I destroyed opportunities because new people don't seek you out based on the reputation for the world you're known to be creating. And uh, I thought I was all that and a bit more, and uh, it was not good. I hope this is a bit of a scratch, head scratcher for some of you who know me now, because I made a decision in my 30s to no longer be the most sarcastic person I ever knew. And in fact, I made the decision in my 30s to sprint as fast as I could to the other end of the spectrum, to be the most life-giving, life-speaking person that I could. Um, Words kill, words give life. They're either poison 
or fruit you choose. Now, this might seem a little bit contradictory to James saying that we can't tame the tongue. And yet Solomon's saying that we have a choice between speaking words that give life or words that kill. But as I highlighted, James said, you can't tame the tongue. One of the fruit of the Holy Spirit working and growing us and transforming us is self-control. That the Holy Spirit in us can actually block or reroute some stuff and cause us to be transformed. Now, two words that if you're someone who struggles with speaking life versus speaking words that kill. Uh, Two words that are going to help you enormously. The words are brain plasticity. Or you could use one word, neuroplasticity, but we'll stick with two. Brain plasticity. Did you know that our brains are not static? They're not fixed. They're not set once and for all like a concrete statue, that actually our brains change and morph all the time. And the reason they do this or the, or, the, or the way that they do this is what's called a neural pathway. Let me show you a little diagram. So there's our brain and within our brain are all of these little neurons that are connected with synapses. And I'm not going to geek you out too much. This isn't Mythbusters, but connected with synapses, and, and, and they form pathways. And so when we have a thought, the thought goes from one part of the brain through a pathway in our brain and then registers a particular form of action. Okay, So it's not like the thought is in one part of the brain and the action occurs. It's the thought happens in one part of the brain and travels through a pathway to affect the action, Right? Over time, these pathways become more and more established, right? Like a, like a stream that cuts its way through some, some uh, you know, um, pathway down a hill, that over time, that stream becomes more established and, that, and, and all the water tends to go down that same pathway. Well, that's how our brains work, right? And there's a good side to that. Meaning, when we make great decisions, when we grow in wisdom, we set up good pathways that, 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 that become the default, right? There's a dark side to that, and that is when we make stupid decisions and have bad thinking, self-talk, habitual negative thinking that translates to negative speech, that pathway gets reinforced. And, and that becomes the habit. That becomes the default. That becomes the norm. The good thing is that our brains aren't fixed. The good thing is that we can remap our neural pathways. All of us, even if you're north of 50, your brain is still plastic. 
There's an order of nuns, the Carmelite nuns, who have zero incidents, zero incidents of dementia or Alzheimer's right through their 90s. Because a part of their practice is that they learn a new thing every year. So this year, I'm going to learn how to play the piano from scratch at at the age of 73. And next year, I'm going to learn how to speak French at the age of 74. And next year, I'm going to learn how to... And they continue to grow new pathways in their brain. Oh, I thought the Holy Spirit did the transforming, not just, you know, some psycho babble, Mark. God created our brains. Of course, he uses biology in concert with his Holy Spirit to cause transformation. Absolutely. So this is good news. And this is why when Solomon says, you choose, this is why me at the, in my late 20s, I had to say, I am going to remap my brain. So that every time I have a sarcastic thought, which in my 30s was just about every thought I had, I had to remap, reroute that thought, put some roadblocks up, put some cul-de-sacs in place, and reroute some thoughts. It didn't happen in 24 hours, but that's the point. This doesn't happen in 24 hours. The rerouting, depending on how deeply ingrained your default is, might take quite a significant amount of time to reroute. So there's two words that you're going to have to carry around with you. Patience and persistence. I'm 45. I still have an occasional sarcastic thought. I don't like that I do, but I do. And I still have to put the roadblock and go, "Uh, uh, uh, the traffic doesn't flow this way anymore, brain. That way, off you go. And either that thought just gets shut down or better still, replace it. Create a new pathway. A pathway that thinks life and a pathway that speaks life. A pathway that lets God, how he's created us in his image and likeness, work in concert with his Holy Spirit to ensure that our words create worlds, worlds of life, worlds of fruit in our marriages, Oh, she never says anything nice to me. Yeah? Well, be a leader. And create the world that you want. No, my boss doesn't ever say anything to me. Yeah? Well, you know what? Monday morning, go in, start speaking life into your boss. It will mess him up. (laughs) What's what's good into you? Oh, nothing. Me and my plastic brain. Hey, we want to give you an opportunity to make a decision to follow Jesus this morning as well, because it actually all starts and finishes with him. Well, I got some good news. Okay, let's see. Mandy wants me to keep preaching. I love Mandy. Uh, But uh, that may not be unanimous. (laughs) Look, uh, I'm going to preview in a moment uh, what's coming up next week, and uh, you're going to want to be here for that. But... um, You know, I think we say the most important thing we do every time we gather as Elevate Church is give people an opportunity to follow Jesus. 
give people an opportunity to make him their Lord, to put their faith in him. 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to this earth, abandoned heaven, came to earth as a man, died a brutal death. But he did that to take our place. See, the things that we do that disappoint God, if we were judged for them, if we were punished for them, it would be ugly. Jesus said, you know what? I'm going to actually take the blame for that. I'm going to take it on, my, on, on, on me. And so you don't actually have to experience that punishment. But what you have to do is you have to trust me. You have to believe in me. You have to follow me. You have to put your faith in me. You have to say, hey, Jesus, I want you to, to be the Lord of my life, which is a big word. It's a big decision, but it's the most important decision you'll ever make. And we want to give you that opportunity right here, right now. If you've never said, Jesus, I want to put my faith in you. I want to put my trust in you. I want you to be my Lord. If you've never made that decision right now, I just want you to put your hand up make that decision, but put your hand up. You say, yeah, that's me. I'm making that decision right here, right now to make Jesus my Lord. When I see your hand, you can put it down. That's all we're going to do. We're not going to freak you out. But you're saying to Jesus, yep, I'm making that decision this morning. So really quickly, we don't want to miss anybody. Just put your hand up. You say, that's me this morning. I'm making the decision to follow Jesus, to put my faith in him. And then we'll just pray real quickly. Fantastic. You can put your hand down. Well done. Brilliant. Love it. Good on you, sweetheart. You can put your hand down. Absolutely fantastic. Let's pray. I want, I want us to all pray this prayer. And, and this isn't a funeral home, by the way. Two people just came to life in Jesus. So let's pray like we actually understand that, shall we? Dear Jesus, this morning, I put my faith in you. Thank you for dying in my place. For forgiving me. For giving me a brand new start. From this day, I commit to follow you for the rest of my life as my Lord and Savior. Amen. How about we celebrate with those two people? Absolutely brilliant. Now, Mandy, Mandy and friends. This hashtag, this word breakthrough 2014, to catch you up if you haven't heard the story. In December last year, I really felt God speak that word breakthrough to me for us. That there are individuals and then collectively this year we would see breakthrough. And man, I could put out a list of breakthroughs that we've seen in individuals and collectively. Absolutely brilliant. The good news is though, 2014 ain't over yet. And so if you still need some more breakthrough, guess what? God's got your number. One of the things that we've oriented is our teaching is towards breakthrough. God brings the breakthrough, but we can position ourselves to be better ready for the breakthrough, right? It's a very simple principle in the Bible. The horse is prepared for the day of battle. That's our job. But victory belongs to God. But if you don't prepare the horse for the battle... We're not giving God anything to work with. So we've been speaking, teaching. And one of the big things that we need in order to break through, to see breakthrough is, is increased faith. All right? And I'm seeing that water level of faith rise week on week, month on month. And stories about faith and stories about, boy, you know, we can't explain this. It's only God that can explain this. Uh, next week and for the next five weeks, we're going to be, teaching about faith from the story of a dude named Elisha. 
And the subtitle, the title of the next five weeks teaching is Elisha. <laughs> I know, it's incredible how we come up with these titles. And uh, the subtitle is A Tale of Ridiculous Faith. So if you don't know anything about the life of Elisha, be here. If you think you know everything about the life of Elisha, you don't. So be here. And here's a little sneak preview of some of what we're going to be exploring. I hope. The Lord sent his great messenger Elijah to anoint a prophet to follow him. God chose someone ordinary. Elijah found Elisha, a nobody, plowing his father's field. And what was Elisha's response? He burned his plow and left everything he knew to answer God's call. Even the ordinary can be called to greatness. His very first miracle repeated his mentor's last. The rest of Elisha's life was original, surprising, bold. More miracles fill the pages of his life story than anyone's but the Son of God himself. From ridiculous faith and extraordinary tale services. Elisha, a tale of ridiculous faith. <laughs>